you need to figure out a way to make enough money doing something that you do enjoy, that you don't hate. And you can either find something that you love, or you can spend your free time doing something that you love as well. But just don't give up what you love. That's for sure. This is the naked truth about real estate investing. Your host, Javier, has already been through all the brain damage of this business, so you don't have to go through it. That way, you're not exposed to all of the risk of losing your shirt or getting caught with your pants down. So let's dive into another no BS episode right now. Hello, everybody. I'm Javier Hinojo, your host of The Naked Truth About Real Estate Investing. And today I have Chris Larson from Asheville, North Carolina, which is, I don't know, four, five hours west of where I'm located. He actually, I just found out they just bought an exit, a building that is in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm from. And I know where it's at because I had lunch with my wife there like a couple blocks away on Tuesday. So that was great news. But Chris, go ahead and I'll let you introduce yourself. I know you're married. You got two boys. You got a dog. You bought your first rental when you're 21. You've been doing syndication since 2016, over 400 million in uh, syndication deals. You're an angel investor, and you also got a book, which we'll talk about as well. And all that will be in the show notes. But go ahead, Chris. What did I miss? I don't think you missed anything. I'm good. We can wrap it up here, Javier. But um, no, it's great to talk to you here. It's it's been amazing. Last week, I was talking to, I was on a podcast, and the host was in Spain, and now I'm on a podcast, and the host is right down the road here, practically neighbors. And I look forward to catching up when you guys are in Asheville here for the upcoming holiday. But first and foremost, I have been an investor for the past 20 years, and you know, in my book, which I'm happy to share with um, you today, if you're listening here on our website, nextlevelincome.com, I talk about the decision to become an investor. And it started when I was in college and I went to college for engineering and right up the road in Virginia Tech, but I really didn't want to be an engineer. I knew two weeks in, you know, I was told, ah, go to school. Like you're smart, like your grandfather, when it comes to, comes to math and, you know, you can be an engineer. I'm like, well, I don't want to be an engineer. I want to race my bike. But I thought, all right, I'll go to school. I get an engineering degree. I'll go turn professional. I'll, I'll race my bike. And the thing with racing bikes, you know, people hear about Lance Armstrong and people think, you know, Lance made a lot of money, which, which he did, but he made like 90% of the money in the uh, cycling world. Your average cyclist probably makes $30,000 a year. Well, I don't want to be poor and race my bikes. I was always kind of entrepreneurial and I was always looking for ways to, you know, find ways to make money outside of just going and working for a dollar. And I started trading in the stock market when I was in college. That was my first experience as an investor. And when I was a junior in college, I was making five, $6,000 a month day trading. And I started with a small amount of money. So I was making some really, really good returns on my money. The thing is in the late 90s, kind of like today, the market was on a tear and it was super volatile. You know, this was in the days of the um, tech stocks, actually internet stocks, really. And dot I com era. Laying, dot com era. And I mean, it was, oh. it was amazing, right? The thing is, it was also very volatile. I was laying there in bed one night at 3 a.m., I'm thinking like, I don't like, I don't really want to be doing this in 20 years, like losing sleep. There's got to be better ways. And I started reading about other types of investing and went to different seminars, read 250, 260 books and ended up buying my first property at 21. And I liked real estate, Javier, because I felt like I had, I could have more control over the stock market that went up and down. I could use leverage, which you can use in the stock market. You can leverage your account. But this was leverage that was was a little bit safer. And it just felt like something that I could actually go and negotiate and be a part of. So I started focusing on real estate 
And that's really what we have been focused on. And we've just kind of grown from doing single family rentals to multifamily self-storage and bigger commercial deals. And that's really transitioned over the past five to 10 years. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about transition, right? From um, So how long did you work, I guess, as an engineer or corporate America? That was what, 18 years, 20 years? How long did you work? That- yeah. So now I, I told a portion of my story. So between my freshman and sophomore years of college, I'm racing my bike. And this is a real, real shift in kind of my, my view on the world. My best friend, my training partner, my college roommate, Chris passed away. He had a massive brain hemorrhage. So I ended up after racing for another year, year and a half, I ended up quitting cycling. So, you know, now I'm like, I'm really, I'm like, I didn't want to be an engineer and not quit racing, quit my passion. So I made this pledge to myself that I was going to live every day and not have any regrets. And the thing is, if you want to do that, you need money, right? Like you can't go and live your life on your own terms. If you have to show it up, up at a job, if you have debt that you can't control, you know, so being an investor was still very congruent with that. But I came out of school, I ended up getting an MBA and I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is sitting right there. That copy Robert Kiyosaki yeah. himself gave to me two years ago. And it said, you got to be a credit investor if you want access to these investments. And I thought, well, well, geez, I'm not accredited. Like I have a little bit of money that I built up, you know, from my my business endeavors, stock market, and some cash flow from my couple pieces of real estate. But I'm like, I got to go make money. So I, I remember sitting in. It wasn't even a Barnes and Nobles. It was a Borders Books. And I oh, remember Borders, opening yeah. this book. Yeah, and it was like six figure careers, right? And sales kept popping up. And I thought, well, I like I like sales. Like I was selling wrapping paper when I was 12 years old, door to door. I sold newspapers. I sold herbal supplements in college. I sold all kinds of different stuff. I thought, okay, that's cool. And I heard about pharmaceutical sales. I'm like, that sounds interesting. I'm going to look into this. A friend of mine introduced me to somebody that sold medical devices. And when I found out about this industry, and again, my engineering degree was in biomechanical engineering. I found out about this industry. I was like, this is too good to be true. I get to work with these cool pieces of technology, go into the OR. That's what you get to do as a medical device rep and get to work with neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine and you know, orthopedic surgeons, like this is pretty cool. So, and then I found out how much they make and you can be accredited if you do well yeah, in awesome. sales. So I ended up spending 18 years and that's how I accumulated enough capital to, you know, buy our first properties, to fund some of our initial spec homes that my wife and I built. My wife's an architect, we used to build spec homes. And that's how we funded our first syndications as LP investors, as limited partners. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty neat because when I went the college route and you said, okay, I'm going to use my degree. Then you figured out like, hey, I need to make a lot of money. Like you know, people ask me all the time, should I do what I love or go do make money? I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. I would say me, I would probably do something I don't like, make money and then make enough money. Then I could do what I love. I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't know what the right, right or wrong way to go. But you know, you, you went ahead and found something that, would, you know, that you enjoyed. You actually did enjoy it. And it made you a, dec- a, good, a good living that allowed for you to do some more investing. That's pretty neat. Yeah. So. And so that's, and that's a really great question. So two things. One, my book, I say how to make, keep, and grow your money. And I'm very intentional. I wrote make money because I really, truly believe that the first thing you should do, if you're listening and, and, and you've made your way, that's great. But if you're starting out in life and you're listening, the first thing you need to do is get really good at something and, and go make a lot of money, help a lot of people, 
make a lot of money. That's going to give you a lot of opportunities. One of the books that I'll never forget reading, I went back, I bought the second edition here uh, just over a year ago. It's called Your Money or Your Life. And it's written by these two authors that were on Wall Street. And they argue that go make enough money and invest it in a way that gives you the freedom to do what you love. So if you're fortunate enough to absolutely love what you do, and by the way, I loved being in the OR. I loved doing what I was doing. But a time came when the stress, the 60, 80, 100 hours, seven months straight without a day off, it got to me. I wanted to spend more time with my family. And when the day came and I realized that the opportunity to show others the path that led myself and my family to financial independence was there, the passive income that I had coming in allowed me to make that transition. So I think it's a phenomenal question, Javier. And I think you need to figure out a way to make enough money doing something that you do enjoy, that you don't hate. And you can either find something that you love, or you can spend your free time doing something that you love as well. But just don't give up what you love. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. You can't do that. Then you then why are you working for, right? Why you work so hard if you're not going to get a chance to do yeah. what you love? So yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, I like the fact that you put on your book that you got to make money. You know, there, you, you got to make some money. You know, that's awesome. So why don't you let us know a little bit about what you talk about in your book? You talk about infinite yeah. banking in the book? Yes. So, right. And, and yeah. I know that's a way that you funded some of your properties. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about that? Because that was very intriguing. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I wrote my book is because I want to help people shortcut the path that I took. And so I mentioned that my friend introduced me to somebody that sold medical devices. That friend was an agent with State Farm that I worked with. So I was a licensed life insurance agent in my early 20s. And back then, and even today, you hear this buy term and invest the difference. So you're probably nodding your head up and down like, yeah, buy term, invest the difference. That's what you know we, we were told. And this was something that the financial industry kind of started to teach as mutual funds came to be. Well, I learned a lot of things over my career and investing. And one of the things I learned was that rich people don't buy term insurance. They sometimes buy term to supplement their whole life insurance, but rich, ultra rich families they create legacies with whole life insurance. If you're a real estate investor, I want you to think about life insurance like this. If you rent a home, that's like buying term insurance. Rent over time, and I know it goes up and down, but over time, it costs more to rent a house, right? So it might start at $1,000 a month. Well, 20 years from now, it might be $2,000 a month. That's why real estate's great if you own it because people pay you more and more rent and your mortgage stays the same right? Whole life is like owning the property. You own the policy. It's called a permanent policy, whole life for your whole life. It's permanent. Now, the payments don't have to be permanent. You can pay for seven years, 10 years, 30 years. You can pay for 60 years. You get to choose just like a mortgage, but that payment is flat. As your policy grows and time goes on, you gain equity in that policy. What does that sound like? Real estate, right? You get equity that grows in your home, but your payment still stays the same. If you own a house and the payment stays the same and your equity grows and the mortgage goes down, you have equity in your house, you can take that equity out in the form of a line of credit, right? You can pull money out. You can do the same thing with your life insurance policy. And the great thing is, if you structure it properly, and this is why I actually rewrote my book with chapter three called Your Opportunity Fund, if you structure it properly, you can get paid dividends inside your policy 
And you can use your money for things like investing in syndications, building spec homes like we did, funding businesses, all kinds of different stuff. You can't really do that in a house. Now, the neat thing is in a house, the house keeps appreciating in value, right? That's right. The same thing happens with a whole life insurance policy. If it's structured properly, it continues to grow in value. And even though you pulled that money out, that money continues to compound inside the policy. And that's why I always like to talk to real estate investors about whole life, because if you understand real estate and leverage and the advantages, you understand whole life and it can be very advantageous. Yeah. That's pretty neat because um, you kind of like, it's growing in both sides. You can invest it somewhere, making your money, right? As a limited partner, right? Or, and it's still, right. still compounding interest. The interest is still growing yeah. on it. So yeah, it, it's, no, it's pretty so neat. It's great. And we, we actually started a whole portion of our website under the banking portion. If you're interested in learning more, there's a white paper there. We talk about how to use what's called the investment optimizer approach using this specialized strategy. There's a video on there as well. And it's in chapter three of my book. So, I mean, I could, I could talk all day about that, but if you want to learn more, feel free to go there. Yeah, nextlevelincome.com. Nextlevelincome.com is the website. And there's a podcast, blog, book, invest, banking, contact. Okay. And about Chris and his journey to where he's at today. So Chris, so tell me, um, what's your role right now? I know you have a lot of roles, but as far as like commercial real estate, what's your role? Are you part of a group? Do you have your own group? Do you, um, you, you help put the pieces together? Just kind of tell us big picture. What do you do? Yeah. So, and first off, excuse me, I had COVID a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I have a little, um, thing, lozenge here, helping keep my cough away. But yeah. So Javier, you know, you start off, right? You do everything. So originally, my partner and I started. So I started as an investor in the multifamily space about eight, nine years ago. And over the next few years, my partner and I, we decided we were going to go buy our first apartment building and we syndicated our first deal in 2016. Back then, we kind of did everything. We both went out to dinner with brokers, we toured properties, we went through the numbers. He really enjoyed kind of the operation side of things. I started to gravitate towards the education, the investor, the underwriting side of things. As we've grown, so now I have three main partners that I work with. We focus on buying properties in the Southeast, mostly multifamily, so mostly apartment buildings, as well as some self-storage. And I've continued down that path. And what I've realized is I really enjoy educating investors, help, like I was mentioning, helping them shortcut their own process towards financial independence. So I still go and tour properties. I'm heading down to Houston next week to tour a property we have under contract there. I still underwrite the deals. But on a day-to-day basis, I work on the front end with investors. I work on the capital raise side of things. I work on the back end with communicating to investors. And like today, getting to share with investors that we have a property that we're selling and telling them they're going to get a nice big check in the mail next month. That's kind of the fun of it, kind of seeing that come to fruition. So over the past five years, it's gone from a little bit of everything to less and less as we all stay in our lane on the team and our, our team grows. And frankly, we hire younger, smarter, more energetic people that get to do some of those things that I kind of had to you know, hold my nose and do from time to time. For sure. So, so talk to me a little bit about from starting out doing everything to now focusing on maybe a, on a couple of maybe one or two items. How has that changed as far as like your business, right? Or what you do? Yeah. So again, if Anybody that's out there, you know, if, if you started a business, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to start off, you have to do everything. And I say you have to do everything because you really have to understand all aspects, right? So we are going to underwrite as a group 
over 450 deals this year. So we're, we're in the last quarter right now. We're over 400 deals. I personally, I cannot underwrite 450 deals a year. That's underwriting about two deals a day, right? Assuming we take a couple, you know, a couple of days off. So I just don't have the bandwidth to do everything that I do and underwrite two deals a day. So we have a team that specifically underwrites deals. They're specifically talking to the brokers on a daily basis and doing that. Okay. We have members of our team that specifically handle all the financing that make sure that they're making sure everything's lined up when everything closes. So I now focus mostly on having conversations with new investors, talking about the deals that we have currently in place, sharing the details with investors. I still go through the underwriting process. I still go through the touring process, but I'm only staying in the loop on those things as they kind of go through the top of the filter and we get to the deals that are actually moving forward towards the goal line, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So I know you mentioned right now, you guys have a property that um, went under contract, you're going to sell. And if you had a five-year plan and it, and it actually, you got to that five-year plan above that five-year plan in, in two years. Yeah. So what's the most common question you get, right? When you're going to call everybody in a few days or whenever you call them and say, Hey guys, this closes, you'll have your money back, you know, and the next 30 days. So what does that investor usually say to you? Yeah. Well, first off, they're like, this is great. Like what happened, right? They want to know the story and do that. And first off, like the past couple of years, like it's been crazy, right? Like COVID hit last year, rents weren't getting paid. I mean, I didn't know, you know, second quarter last year, am I going to, am I going to have any money come in? Like my commercial tenants here in our local property that they told me they couldn't pay. It was crazy. But the year before that 2019 was great. End of 2020, things started coming to back, and this year has more than made up for that. So, yeah, this you know this specific deal, Javier, just to qualify, it's been a great deal, a great deal for the period of time we've held it. In the past ten years, has been great in the multifamily space. So, part of it is kind of tempering investor expectations, right? And say, hey, we've done really well on this deal. We need to take some money off the table because some investors say, well, why sell? Why not let it ride? And I think it's part of part of the plan. So if you have a plan like we do, we do value-add deals. So if we can get through our value-add plan in two years instead of three or four or five years and return that capital back to investors, then we can do it all over again. So we have another deal that we have that we're, we have under contract right now, as I mentioned, that we can roll that capital into. So that's the next thing. Yep. What next? So exactly. investor says, yep. hey, like it worked. What do I do? Do I take my money off the table? Take my chips off the table? Do I let it ride? Like, What do I do? First off and foremost, I'm not a CPA. That's not my job to tell investors what to do with their money. But what we try to do is line up what's called a 1031 exchange, which I know you're familiar with. So, hey, can we align a property, a purchase of another property with this to give investors the opportunity to move in a very tax-efficient manner through a 1031 exchange so they can take their equity that's grown and instead of paying taxes today, move that enhanced, that grown equity into another property so they see their cash flow continue to increase. And that was my plan when I started. I thought, man, if I can invest in one or two properties a year for 10 years and let my equity continue to grow, like people do in the stock market, right? They let it grow over time. They let it grow in their qualified accounts. You can do the same thing in real estate. My cash flow is going to grow to the point. And this is what happened over the course of only about eight years. Passive income eclipsed our monthly expenses that we had. Yeah, so, you know, kind of again, trying to 
paint that full picture for investors and let them see, hey, this is one option that you have and letting them make the decision that works for them. Some want the money, some need the money for other things. And we like to make sure that investors have that liquidity as well if they want it. Well, it's awesome because you had a five-year plan. So everybody committed to five years and you're going to get the money back in two. So I probably would be one of those guys that'd be like, come on, Chris, you're going to make me work again? Like I deploy my exactly. money. <laughs> now I got to redeploy it? Like, ah. Now I got my glass is half full. Go my glass is half deal. or half empty, right? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, exactly. Right. Like I'll be happy and upset at the same time because I got my money back right away when I don't want to deploy it. Like I don't want to be doing it. I used to get money when I used to flip houses and I got really good friends that would lend me money. And like, you know, every three to six months, like, here's your money back, you know, and I'm like, oh, I have another deal. And like, here's the money back. And it's like back and forth. It's fine. But uh, yeah, yeah, I like to kind of just let it go and like, okay, great. Talk to me in five yeah. years. Let's see what we're doing. That's right. That's one of the challenges, right? When something goes well, you have to make another decision. You have to say, hey, where they say, hey, I like that property, but I don't, am I going to like this property? Is it going to perform as well? You know, and that's part of the challenge of being a passive investor, right? You don't, you, you kind of have to go along for the ride and do that. But that's a great question to ask yourself. If you're an investor and you're thinking about this, you say, hey, am I, am I okay with this? And then what's your plan over five or 10 or 20 years? And if, if your plan is to let that money grow, if you're in four deals or eight deals along that way, and your money grows at the same pace, you know it doesn't really matter how many total deals you're in. It matters what's your strategy, what's your overall plan. And thinking through that process before that day comes, when you get the phone call, it says, hey, great news, Javier. Your money's coming back to you. You got a lot more than you started with. You can already say, you know what? I like working with you guys. What's your plan? And hopefully they have a plan to say, hey, we can continue to have your money work for you. That's not always the case. We'd rather not buy a so-so deal and give money back to investors than keep investors' money and just try to make something work. So, yeah, that's good. That's, that's a good way to do it. So that's an yeah. awesome way. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. And this brings me to my favorite part. This takes us to the uh, Naked Truth Roulette, where I'm going to ask you three random questions. It's got nothing to do with real estate. Awesome. And, uh, let's see. Let's see what we get. We're gonna spin this bad boy. I love this, by the way. Let's see. Question number one for Chris Larson: How do you feel about pineapple on your pizza? If it's got ham on there or bacon on there as well, I'm a thumbs up. All right. So you are. I gotta have uh, pork and pineapple. Okay. So ham and pineapple. I usually eat that all the time. It's been a while since I had it. I should try it, but I don't know if I would like it anymore. I don't know. But it's been a while. But- Try bacon. That even that, bacon. That I've never had pizza. Actually, I've never had pizza. Bacon, with bacon and pineapple. Meat. Oh yeah. All right. All right. Great. Here's question number two. Let's see what we got coming up. All right. What is what is your favorite food? Oh man. So I got I got pizza on my mind, but my boys always joke because when I travel, they say, "What'd you have for dinner, Dad? Salmon?" And I would say that my favorite food is a great piece of fish. Like I just love a really good fresh piece of fish. Best one I ever had on my honeymoon in Costa Rica. They pulled a tuna right off the boat and sliced it fresh and served it to us. And it's it's hard to beat a really nice piece of fish. Oh, wow. Right off the boat. That's definitely oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, my wife made this delicious salmon yesterday with rice. She puts like this mustard dressing on it. It's actually Ooh. amazing. It's really, really good. Sounds fantastic. It's, it's also the kid's favorite. Even the dog, even our dog, Cashy, she, <laughs> you know, she can smell it. She gets her piece. We don't put it. We don't put any seasoning on hers. Just a piece of salmon. She oh. knows she's gonna get. You salmon. got it, man. Your dog. I'm gonna have yeah. to say your dog sounds a little spoiled, Javier. Uh, she's a little so. spoiled. She is. <laughs> All right, here we go. Third question for Chris. So, what is oh, the boy. worst chore to do? Worst chore to do. What is the worst one? 
Yeah. So my first job, we had a local beach. Okay. And I got paid for it, but I still would say this is a chore. I had to take the trash out. Now you have to remember, this is a community beach where people would throw out diapers and hamburger meat and hot diapers in the summer with maggots is the worst thing you could do. And I will tell you that it really taught me a great lesson that I wanted options in my life and I didn't want to have to to empty garbage for the rest of my life, whether it was a chore or whether I was getting paid. Oh man, that's awesome. Thank you for the sharing for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Start at the bottom. Start at the bottom. All right, you, you survived the naked truth roulette. So, Chris, so you have two boys. Tell me that how old are they? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate. I have two healthy boys, nine and 11, soon to be 10 and 12. Okay. And it's, uh, they're certainly a blessing in my life. Well, the reason I say that is because I got uh, at the house, I only have one left. He's 11. And you said nine and 12? Uh, nine and 11. So, nine yeah, 11, that's nine right. 11. Okay. So, I yeah. just turned 11 and uh, we're talking about trash. I was thinking the other day, I'm like, okay, I have at least seven more years of not throwing the garbage out, like at least seven more years, like, you know, as, as time goes on. But anyways, I'm, I'm safe there for a while. Yeah, I like it. I got, I got two more years than you with my nine-year-old boy. You look young, Javier. So I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I, got, I, I tell everybody, I, I got five kids. My oldest one's oh, 27. He just turned 27. So I got wow. married when I was eight. So <laughs> I got married very young. <laughs> You look like about 35. So I appreciate that. I'll make sure that uh, the podcast goes to the top of the list. There you go. And all, all your links are, are big. and everything. It must be the black shirts <laughs> to keep us looking young. That's, right? that's what it is, man. That's what so, it is. It's, it's our wives, yeah. man. Our wives make, make it better. Make it all easy for us. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, she's the better looking one in my family. That's for sure. Uh, but. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely am. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> well, Chris, man, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, anything else? Um, how can people get a hold of you? I know it's nextlevelincome.com. Is that the best way? Just tell us uh, your podcast. What else? Other ways for us to hear more of you and get in contact. Yeah, you can see it all there, nextlevelincome.com. If I didn't mention it before, click on the book link. And if you put your address in, I'll even send you a free copy. We try to have as many resources as we can up there. We talked about the banking link. If you want to learn more about our investments, we have the invest link as well. If you're accredited, we have a bunch of stuff out there. I'm always happy to discuss that as well. But most importantly, if there's anything that I can do to help you on your path to financial independence, don't hesitate to reach out. Chris, you know, I've been amazing. I guess appreciate you being here. I am Javier. Don't lose your shirt. Just as promised, I like to give out free stuff, some tools and tips that's actually helped me in my business. There's nothing out there like getting some free stuff that people have spent a lot of time, energy in putting together. It's like a referral. Somebody asked me for an electrician. You don't know what kind of brain damage I had to go through to give you this good referral for an electrician. You got to appreciate referrals from people, okay? Because they went through a lot to find that one good person. So, I'm going to give you my due diligence template for buying apartment buildings. It's attached to monday.com. It is an affiliate link, so they're going to send me a kickback. Not a lot, but a little bit. But you can either download it as an Excel, or you can put it on monday.com. Monday.com is pretty cool because it's a project management platform software. It's super cool. I use it all the time for my social media, for my team, tracking deals, doing tasks, for everybody, it's, uh, it's actually pretty good. You can track construction. It's a project management platform. It's a really cool Monday, like the day, monday.com. So my due diligence checklist is there for free for you. This has been The Naked Truth. Our mission is to give it to you raw. If you got value from this episode, you're invited to leave an honest written review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.